Welcome back to Powered by Play. This time, we'll be discussing playful care, attention, and compassion. These are ways in which we playfully keep ourselves healthy and happy and seen. Avery, press play. So I want to give a start to this episode by discussing the different types of quote-unquote play types as discussed in this book called Play and Creativity in Psychotherapy. Desire, pleasure, satisfaction all reveal themselves in various types of play. There is object play, which involves the desire, pleasure, and satisfaction to tinker, construct, tear down, and use tools. There's social play, which involves the desire, pleasure, and satisfaction to chat, flirt, tease, and joke around. There's body play, which involves the desire, pleasure, and satisfaction to dance, jump, run, touch, and tickle. And caregiving play, which involves the pleasure, desire, and satisfaction to nurture pets or encourage a friend. And the final one is exploratory play, which involves the desire, pleasure, and satisfaction to risk, assemble, and execute a plan, and to seek adventure. Now, so far in our episodes, we have discussed some of these other types of play, such as object play, which kind of relates to Legos and building blocks and Jenga, as well as exploratory play, which is found in a lot of video games, but also a lot of childhood games where we seek adventure and create our own little adventures together. And today we'll be talking about body play and caregiving play, and, and but also maybe the, it'll overlap with some of the other types of play when we do it with other people or when we do it alone or when we're exploring something on our own or even exploring our internal mind workings. Um, so here's some more information from this book that says, Play is essential to socialization and it's to practice skills that are essential for adult life like running, jumping, climbing, and fighting. And there's this play of rupture and repair that humans and animals share, such as through the play bow that, you know, dogs do a lot, which is where we invite and resume play about nipping versus biting habits of playing and then apologizing when we play too hard or too seriously and then and then resuming play after we apologize to each other. And this other chunk of quote, like I was talking about this book earlier, if you, if anybody out there needs a book recommendation, Play and Creativity in Psychotherapy, um, edited by a group of different authors, including Marx, Tarlow, Solomon, and Siegel, this, this book is basically our entire podcast in the best way. If you need any supplementary reading, this is the book for you. Um, and so on page 158, uh, bringing out my academic habits here, it appears that play represents the cutting edge of cognitive, emotional, social, and behavioral growth in all animals. Within psychotherapy, a playful attitude, both on part of the therapist and patient, affords the positive spectrum of feelings, as well as the motivation, energy, and curiosity to expand and grow. Conditions that hold no matter how serious the explicit content. Um, and the amazing part of this book is that it, it combines scientific research and analysis from seemingly very different areas of of the human brain's needs. We have play and creativity, right? That's theater and art and games and socializing and how that relates to psychotherapy, which seems like such a serious topic. It seems like psychotherapy is all about everything that has gone wrong in your life and all the ways that your childhood has negatively affected your adulthood and how you know, therapy has such a connotation of let's sit down and talk it out and let's let these emotions be cathartic and we're going to we're going to heal you from the inside out. But bringing these all these topics together of play and psychotherapy is very fascinating because there's all there's clearly a lot of elements in play, as we'll discuss today, that involves healing and finding ways to play on our own. What's on your mind about how healing play can be, Drew? Well, maybe the first thing to talk about is what 
is care to us. What what care do we need? What care do we deserve? Where do we get it? And why do we seek it from ourselves and other people? I guess I would start with basic care is if we're looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Starting with safety. Yes, the good old Maslow the pyramid. The triangle. <laughs> we start with things like safety and shelter and food. And then we go to things like social interaction and self-actualization and things like that. But if we if we look at the base, if we look at the, the bottom of the pyramid, we need things like hygiene, we need things like food, we need things like sleep. So uh, things like cleaning and bathing, spas are there for that, for care, hammams, um, where you have water poured over you and then are scrubbed. Korean spas with scrubbing and sort of full body exfoliation. Ultimately, we're responsible for our own hygiene and taking care of our own needs, like making sure we have food, making sure we're clean, making sure we get enough sleep, but playing with others, partners participating or friends or family, um, maybe a partner is scrubbing our back or a friend or family member or partner cooking for us. There's that wonderful scene, Avery, in Moonlight that takes several minutes where the main character's guy that he's kind of interested in cooks for him because mm -hmm. the guy he's interested in works in a kind of a diner or a cafe. Mm -hmm. And the, the movie just spends so much time watching the man cook for this other man that he's interested in and it shows all the stuff that goes into the food that's care that's care that is i mean we all need food we all need nourishment so yeah. making sure that somebody gets food or making sure that you keep other people quiet so your loved one can rest um all these things but also, I mean, I mentioned the Korean spa. There's kind of a sense of luxury if you go and you have someone else take care of your needs for you. What do you think? Yeah, and it's also completely ancient as well. These group baths. And I, I remember reading about um, Roman baths for the first time in some yeah. Magic Treehouse books. I was very intrigued because what? This is like, it's like a indoor pool, but better. You know, oh, yeah. you get to <laughs> the furthest extent to a Roman bath that we would go to growing up for me would just be like the neighborhood pool or there was, we had a place called City Gym and Pool and <laughs> they had an indoor pool and that was kind of it, you know, it wasn't like, I don't know, it wasn't as social or yeah. therapeutic as spas and baths are usually. Yeah, absolutely. I remember the community pool that I had when I was a younger kid too. You just sparked a memory. And this was back in the day when I, as a oh, fourth grader, fifth grader, could take my younger sister down to the pool. We would just walk there it was down the block and we would walk to the pool we had this key that would open it and she would play in the children's pool and i would play in the the bigger pool and just the fact that we had the freedom to do that and that we had that in our community just like you i mean what what an opportunity and we often talk about the healing waters, right? Yeah. Bath or bath in in the UK is known for its healing waters. So it's it's not surprising that sort of care and play involves that too. Mm, yeah, I've been to these hot springs in Utah once. Oh yeah. And it was actually a really wonderful memory. I was actually away in the, these mount this valley in Utah for two weeks for a feminist summer camp back in 2019 and there was one evening where we drove out to these hot springs in this mountain it was so beautiful it was late afternoon so the sun was kind of setting beyond the mountains and it was these natural hot springs that had hot water and a bunch of other people were there too and then they also had these individual bathtubs that apparently somebody had lugged out there 
and these bathtubs were also filled with the natural hot water. And I have a very distinct memory of seeing the cotton in the air or these spores, whatever the, I don't really know nature things, but there was stuff in the air and it looked really pretty. <laughs> nice, nice. And in terms of sleep, I mean, how many of us have to deal with feeling guilty about napping. I love sleep so much. Yes, I do too. <laughs> I think there are these common sayings for these basic things like, you're worth it, or take time for self-care. And we, I mean, everybody is worth it, but is there something that makes one of us more worth self-care than another person? Are there people, does everybody have time and or money for self-care? Does everyone have the opportunity for self-care? And I, how playful can self-care become? I, I know we've all seen these sort of images of like someone in the bath with a little rack to hold a book that they're reading and some wine, you know, next to them on, on the bathtub. And I think that that is a very playful image and a very let's give myself what I know I want and call it play. Yeah, I think self-care play is actually one of the most widely dispersed. No, self-care play is one of the types of play that is the most equalized among oh, yeah. humanity, I think. Mm -hmm. There are several famous barbers who give free haircuts to homeless individuals such as joshua coombs or jason schneidman and tons more who probably you know are not viral on the internet but they share this importance to connect with people and treat them in a dignified way which they do in their day-to-day -day lives as barbers i'm sure they um, are connecting with their regular paying clients and I'm sure that their clients do walk out with you know a wonderful refreshed feeling of themselves and feel that they've been seen as a human right with these uh, quote-unquote amazing barbers with these magical not magical but just very human powers of human connection and then on the other hand there's the side of exchanging emotional healing without monetary gain and it's the same service uh, but to people who are homeless and people who have been disenfranchised and who are actively suffering in a, in a way that's so deep that they cannot merely afford to get regular haircuts, let alone sleep in a house that they are paying for. It's just the reality of a lot of situations for many people. One of the fun things that a lot of these barbers say is that they, the barbers themselves feel more emotional healing in themselves too. And there's some way, in some way, them giving free haircuts to these homeless individuals is more enriching for themselves than for their day-to-day -day working barber lives. And I think that's fascinating. Yeah, the question of service and what does service do for us and playful service like that. Yeah, and it's and also, it's almost also subversive that they're doing this because they're saying, they're telling the world, hey, these homeless people are worth it. Everybody is worth it, regardless of who they are, where they're from. You are a human being and you deserve to be seen and cared for. Absolutely. And one of these sort of personal attention, personal care, playful genres that I decided to look at for this week is ASMR, personal attention videos. So for those of you who might be wondering, ASMR actually stands for Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. And this was created by a sort of an ASMR fan named Jennifer Allen. And Jennifer Allen wanted to move away from this sort of nerve tingling or bringing the body to sensory life through sound. She wanted to move this away from the concept of sexual arousal. And she wanted a term that would indicate a sort of non-erotic, but very uh, emotional and very sensory sort of experience, playful experience that someone who was witnessing the ASMR leader 
directing them through this would feel. And I, I think probably many people have heard about ASMR or have looked at an ASMR video. There's a huge range at this point. I found some really interesting ASMR videos. And typically what happens is the, the person, the leader, the ASM artist is the, is the term, will look directly into the camera and they will usually speak in a hushed voice, address the viewer in first person, and maybe add some sounds that would fire off different sensory impulses. So, for example, one of the ASM artists that I that I watched and actually watch usually Avery when I'm trying to fall asleep. ASMR is really good for trying to fall asleep. Goodnight Moon and her series, um, the Babelbrook Inn, and her stories from Babelbrook. In this particular story or in this particular video, she plays the barmaid of the Babelbrook Inn. And she welcomes in the viewer by saying, You must have had a hard journey. Why don't you come in and sit by the fire? I have a cozy blanket and I have a cat who loves to come and sit on visitors' laps. Just come in. Oh, I see that the rain has gotten to you. Let's get that wet coat off. Let me get you something dry and maybe something warm to drink. And is speaking in first person. So that was wonderful. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Avery. Definitely focused on making you feel good, making you feel taken care of. And a couple of really interesting ASMR experiences I I watched or videos that I watched. There was one by a man, an ASM artist, uh, who calls himself Ephemeral Rift. And he is one of the very successful ASM artists. This particular video was called If You Were My LGBTQ Child. And so he had the rainbow flag in the background. And he was talking in first person as if he was giving reassurance to his child that they were going to be loved and accepted and they would never lose their father's love. He would always be there with them. And I, I found it, I, talk about empowering, right? Self-care, where I, I think we're sort of connecting the dots here between empowerment and self-care, right? Or empowerment and health empowerment and feeling seen. And that was definitely there in that video. There's another ASM artist named ASMR Darling who always introduces herself by saying, Hello, it's ASMR Darling. And then goes on to do many different things. She comes and brings you soup if you're not feeling well. She helps you get ready for a date. She helps you with your makeup, all kinds of different things. So this was really fun because it was absolutely, totally meta. ASMR Darling <laughs> fired up ChatGPT and asked ChatGPT to write an outline for an ASMR experience to help the listener fall asleep. And ChatGPT, she showed in real time what ChatGPT was creating. And then she said, all right, I'm going to come back and I'm going to do exactly the video that ChatGPT set up for me. And so it was this really wonderful and lovely meta experience. And I, I, Avery, do you, how do you feel about ASMR? I, I first discovered it in high school when my friend showed it to me. He was like, hey, have you seen this, this stuff? It feels so tingly and good and stuff. And I think during high school, I was in a very hyper-masculine, emotions are silly, and logic is the best kind of phase. And so my first instinct was to feel that that was a little bit too girly or something like that. And so I was like, oh, this is interesting. Great. All right, cool. I'm done. Bye. And that kind of <laughs> situation toward it. In recent years, however, I do enjoy it. Um, but I do, I don't actually, I don't 
I don't think I feel the nerve tinglies that much, but I do feel nice sometimes. I have enjoyed slime crunching videos, foam cutting videos, um, I love rug cleaning videos as I've discovered lately. There's this guy on Facebook and other social media called Rug Mountain Cleaner or Mountain Mountain Rug Cleaner and he cleans these rugs for up to 10 minutes at a time and it's very satisfying and I've also watched interior car detailing videos where this like these this person takes a car that's been completely trashed on the inside just from everyday use and sometimes even just by people who have been like customers who've been overwhelmed with their lives and such and they have no other choice but to have a professional clean their car for them there's also videos of professionals cleaning a house owned by a hoarder. This also reminds me of Marie Kondo and the sensation that she became Oh yeah. from her Netflix show and her book and such of keeping the house tidy and also keeping your life tidy and how a lot of these videos and shows about cleaning the house and cleaning the car, they somehow tie the messiness of the object to the internal turmoil in the individual's lives, in the customer's lives. Yeah, I, I think we all have felt that feeling of, I can't work unless I clean my workspace. Yeah. Right? I can't, I, I can't get started. There are dishes in the sink. Yeah. I can't get started. There are papers on my desk and maybe some days more than others. Mm -hmm. And the feeling the feeling of watching these videos is also that you're kind of on this journey along with the object being cleaned. I feel like it's almost empathizing with the object and identifying mm. with it as well or with its story, which is a strange thing to say because, you know, why would I, Avery, a normal person, identify with a dirty rug that is caked in dirt and Cannot, in so much so that you cannot see the original pattern or colors whatsoever. What does that even mean to identify with it? But in the case of when we analyze theater as theater people, there's an element of catharsis when we kind of go along the transformative journey of the protagonist, right? And I yeah. think that is exactly what's happening in these cleaning videos is that we are undergoing the we are empathizing with the transformation that the object is going through and we internally kind of feel a little bit of that transformation as well we are teaming up with the cleaner to feel some sort of change in ourselves and it's really really subtle because at the end of a rug cleaning video I don't, I'm not as, it's, it's not the same as if it were, I were at the end of watching a musical or something like Hadestown or whatever, right? Like at the end of Hadestown, I was bawling, I was crying, I was standing up, you know, I was shouting and wanting to just explode. But at the end of a rug cleaning video, I kind of just take a breath and I'm like, wow. That was really impressive. And then I go to the next video and see what that one has to offer. And it's not so much of a huge once, it's not so much of a huge outburst of healing. It's a very subtle feeling, feeling a little bit cleaner than you started with. And it's also not the same thing as just seeing a picture, right? At the end of these rug cleaning videos, the, they do show like a before and an after, and you can really tell the difference, but it's not as much of an impact as if you did not see the video of the transformation itself happening before you. And I think that's what we really like about play and healing is that it it can be very transformative. And I think also, I have watched videos of watchmakers sort of saving old watches that have needed significant repair. I think there's something about the rug or the watch or whatever it is, it survives. Our society is so programmed to get rid of something if you no longer have any use for it, or if it's going to take too much time. There's that general feeling of, oh man, that poster 
just is not functioning the way I want it to, instead of fixing it, I'm just going to know that I can go to Target and get another one for 25 bucks. So I just get rid of the toaster. But a rug or a watch or anything that can be fixed, that can be made to continue to persist, to survive, to continue to be useful. And as Marie Kondo would say, continue to spark joy. It was dirty, it was broken, but it can have a new life and can continue to spark joy in its user. And there's something I think powerful about that too. Mm, and that even reminds me of these videos of cleaning old rusty knives too that I've seen a lot. Oh of. yeah. And these knives that the cleaner takes in are completely unrecognizable. There's crust, there's stuff, there's scientific change has happened to this knife. And to any to many common people, it's irreversible. This knife is unusable. You can just buy a new one in five minutes instead of cleaning one for five hours. But at the same time, these videos also have multiple millions of views because we are really intrigued by watching the rust come off somehow through other chemical means, through a human. I think it's also the human touch of I can, I can witness somebody who can, can do this amazing feat of restoring something that everybody sees as trash. And, and maybe on a cheesy level, maybe I'm worthy of love too, no matter how far gone I am. Something like that. Aw, <laughs> worthy of restoration. Yeah, but it also- Worthy of persisting. Uh, yes, absolutely. And this also ties into the idea of commercialization, right? Like everything in America is so widely available that there's, it's, it's completely almost redundant to clean a old item for hours on end when you can just buy a new one instantly. A lot of self-care items are of course disposable. Razors, toothbrushes, hair brushes, all those things, uh, loofahs, all those things we just say, well, that has worn out its usefulness and so I need to go and pick up a new set of razor blades or a new toothbrush or whatever it's really interesting because they have given their usefulness to us so that we can continue, so that we can persist. And I know you wanted to talk about the first self-care item that we that you bought and that I bought. And so this is probably a, a, a good time to do that because it's about commercial interaction with these things that are going to help us take care of ourselves. When, when I was a junior in undergrad, I did my junior year in Canterbury in England. Before that, I had an electric shaver, I think that my, that my grandfather got me and that I used for a while. But because the electricity is different in the UK, I needed, rather than something that would convert the electricity, my dad said, well, let's just get you some razors, some regular wet razors, so that you can learn how to do a standard sort of wet, wet shave. And that was pretty fascinating. It was a very different experience than the, the dry shaver. It was smoother, not just that my skin got smoother or like less hair, but also it just kind of rolled more smoothly because of course the, the cream was there. And it was more inviting somehow. And this kind of extends into now when I go to the barber shop, I when I get my hair cut, I usually get a hot towel shave as well. So there's a situation where you have a commercial exchange where you are literally trusting someone with a straight razor next to your neck. And for all those folks who grew up with Sweeney Todd, we know what kind of trust that is. 
and it's literally about to mention Sweeney Todd. Nice, <laughs> because I never, I didn't, I never even knew what a straight razor was <laughs> until I saw Sweeney Todd on stage, and I was literally just waiting for you to finish your sentence so that I could just be like, "But wait." <laughs> That's right. Um, I mean, talk about trust, right? And talk about, I mean, Sweeney Todd is such a betrayal of trust. Absolutely. And he has that wonderful line about, at last, my arm is complete again. When Mrs. Lovett brings him his razors, he sings a love song to his razors. It's just, it is fascinating. I mean, Karen concerned, but flipped on its head. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Such a wonderful metaphor. Okay, how about you? I think the first self-care item I bought for myself was a charcoal mud face mask thing from Amazon back in high school. I don't even remember what bewitched me to obtain this, <laughs> but it's probably just from seeing advertisements online. And my skin was very normal. I mean, I had occasional you know, pimples, as many high schoolers do. It was probably the videos on YouTube of, oh, I tried this product and it made me feel better. It made me look better. It helped me relax for 15 minutes. And I was like, okay, I'm sold. Let's try it. But I didn't get the expensive kinds that, you know, people are advertising. I just got the cheapest kind on Amazon that I could. And the, the descriptions are... You know, this product is rejuvenating. It's full of charcoal for some reason. I think that was my first time also experiencing the charcoal craze of how apparently it's so good for your skin and internal revival and stuff. And I think I tried it a couple times and then I was too lazy to try it ever again because it was, I don't know, it was just kind of a hassle and I didn't really feel that much better after it. It kind of reminds me, Avery, of the Biore strips that go on your cheeks or your nose. And the original advertisements, the original commercials for those would show oh, like yeah. an actor pulling the strip off of her nose and then would show all the little stuff that was on the strip. And I, I suppose you could look at that and you could go, oh my gosh, that's gross. Like, why would a commercial show that? Why would that entice anyone to buy it? because it's cleansing like you can literally see just like the rug your the the actor's nose kind of being cleansed like in real time advertising is very visual and transformation is not always very visible and molecular skin clearing is not always visible and so for that to have had a visible component probably added a lot to its appeal for sure yeah of course play that is combined with care and attention and concern is not limited to humans and i know that you have experiences that you really want to talk about and i was very excited to hear about these ah yes so i've been to a couple of cat cafes and in other countries, they might be a little bit more common and they've become sort of a novelty in America thus far. In a lot of big cities, they tend to have some. And so I've been to a cat cafe in Orange County, as well as one in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And all the cats are adoptable. Basically what a cat cafe is, is that you, you get to pay a few dollars and then you get to spend half an hour with these cats. Um, and there's of course the rules of like, being gentle and not imposing yourself on them, but also you get to play with them. You get to um, play with their toys and watch them run around sometimes, and you get to pet them. And most of them are, I mean, all of them are always really well behaved and very nice to you as well. Um, and I think they have been a really nice thing to visit every so often because I personally do not have my own pets. And it's nice to play with animals without having to interact with humans, right? Because it, like for me, when I pass a dog on the street that I really want to pet, I usually do not ask to pet the dog because my mm. thought process is this human probably does not want to talk to me and they probably just want to go about their day and do their very normal walk. But I'm in internally, I'm just repressing all of my 
it's so cute, I have to talk to it. And so the cat cafe is a nice opportunity to let myself hang out with some animals who actually probably are, who probably want to hang out with me too, I don't know. You can't tell, because a lot of the times they might just be napping and sleepy and then you might feel a little bit disappointed at the, at the cat cafe because you're like, oh man, why are so many of them just like not playing with me? <laughs> and there's also, you have to be open to whatever the cats are feeling. You can't force them to play with you. Uh, and my sister, she's done goat yoga and puppy yoga as well, which is a very fascinating idea. It's a very good opportunity to combine play and healing and animals. And my sister's fiancé described it as, quote-unquote, hot, sweaty, fun. I don't know if it was hot, I don't know if it was hot, comma, sweaty, comma, and fun, or if it was fun that was hot and sweaty. But anyway, that consisted of basic yoga poses, and then the animals and the animals' handlers would walk around, and oftentimes the goats and puppies would, like, climb on top of you sometimes, and just hang out like that. And the organizers and the teachers know that the, you know, the players, the the yoga, oh my god, yoga players? <laughs> what do you call I a person doing yoga in a class? Um, the, yeah, let's just call them yoga players. Sure, let's the do yoga that. players are going to keep the poses simple because the goal here is not necessarily for advanced yoga training. It's more for do something new and also have these cute animals play with you at the same time. Yeah. Adding animals to things and asking the question, okay, which way is the care going? Is the care going both ways? Those bumper stickers that are everywhere that say, who rescued who, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, okay, so I feed my dogs, clean up after my dogs and uh, make sure that they are, that they have a place to sleep and that they're inside when they need to be inside. And my cat, my new cat, my new Siamese cat that I am just absolutely bonding with, Aww. making sure that she is separate from the dogs when we're not there, just so she has her own space and she doesn't have to worry about the dogs trying to play with her. And so that's care on my side. But as we all know, if an animal comes over to you and allows itself to be pet, it is providing care to you as a human. It does. It is a, a two-way street and a reciprocal relationship in terms of care. Yeah, and they're a little different because you don't have to make small talk with them or ask them how their day was because they can't communicate with you with words and you no longer have to use words with them and that's also really healing as well. Absolutely. So going back to sort of the virtual space, there are other ways of playing out care and concern and attention that exist as well. So I know on social media that when I am curating sort of my playful presence or trying to indicate ways in which I am taking care of myself, things like sharing travel photos or sharing playful moments or restful moments, I sort of, I try to curate those up a little bit and make it look, I, I think I'm Providing the illusion that maybe I have more money or free time or ability to relax than I actually do. And so that curating sort of takes out all of the work of, well, I had to run to catch the train to get to this place, but then it was a beautiful spa day! Or I was super duper hot and sweaty that day, but look at this animal that I was hugging. I mean, it was so great. It was such a great experience. And so sort of curating and staging those photos a little bit to make it look like I am a person who knows how to take care of myself and self-actualize. And a lot, of, a lot of my friends also are into posting memes. That is sort of how they perform themselves online. And so some of these memes are just them laughing at pop culture or laughing at some philosophical issue. But a lot of the memes are about take time for yourself today. 
Remember, you are enough. Find something that you want to do and do it. And so in this virtual space, I think there's a lot of constructing the self as a caring self and trying to help others care for themselves as well. Yeah, it's kind of like establishing yourself as somebody that other people can go to if you need help. Social media is a great opportunity for people to display themselves how they want. And there's always that opportunity to be very playful on social media of like, oh, hi, like, I wore this cool outfit. I met, caught up with my family this weekend. And then when something serious happens, people are expected to respond. Like there's very different sides of social media. There's the playful self-curation side. And then there's the tragic national event happens. And now I have to express my take on it. And if I don't express my take on it, and if I continue to post silly, funny memes, then people might assume that I don't care at all. I have no longer decided to post on Facebook much anymore, just because I see such a variety of stuff on there. I have friends who are having the best moments of their lives and are posting about it, and I have friends who are going through the worst moments of their lives and are also posting about it. I don't want to get involved in between that. I want to play it safe and just lurk, be silent, and not be on either side of that spectrum because it feels like you have to be on either side of that spectrum. I love the idea that you were talking about, about how do you respond? And not only how do you respond to a current event, but how do you respond to somebody's post? There was that time for a while, Facebook did not have the little care emoji. It had like, it had like the frowny face, it had sad, and it had love. And say somebody lost a family member. What do you do? Do you, do you put the sad emoji because you want them to know that you feel sad? You're not going to put the thumbs up like emoji. And is it a time to put love? Because typically love is when somebody, yeah, the heart. Typically love is when somebody says, I didn't think I could do this marathon and I did it. And you're like, yeah, yeah. you get a heart for I that. You get that a love for, for that. Yeah. I love that for you. But Facebook added the care emoji just for those moments when you don't actually know what to say, but you want to say something. All you have to do is click the little happy face hugging a heart and you'll indicate care. And it was really fascinating to see when care started popping up a lot, when people realized, oh, I now have that option and I'm going to take that option. Another thing that people have been doing on Instagram a lot is having dumps, which is basically like an April dump or a June dump, basically. Here's one post with like 10 photos that I took throughout this month and that's the caption. There's not really much of a description and a lot of these photos are not very edited or they're from all different kinds of contexts and it's a little bit less curated in terms of being perfect. But at the same time, you're still curating some sort of experience that you've been through as well. And there's always, there's always some sort of curation whether you are being natural with it or with your or whether you're being perfectionist with it yeah, yeah yeah but on the topic of escaping from all this shit this is why people dream and daydream about living in the woods to be honest <laughs> facebook and instagram are complete if we if you and i suddenly did not have facebook or instagram starting from right now our lives would not be very different in my opinion no really not we would be fine and that's a lot of what some internet people are discussing of I want slow living. I want long walks in the woods and to be present in the moment. I want to cook my own food, raise my own chickens, and have a nice quiet home where I don't have to climb a corporate ladder. I don't believe in hustle culture. I believe in... Um, I was gonna try to think of a cool rhyme for hustle bustle i don't know anyway <laughs> uh the alternatives to hustle culture basically where capitalism and capitalist markets create needs 
right? They, I, I recently listened to this podcast episodes from Behind the Bastards, which is a podcast where they explore the backstories behind villains of history, such as Hitler or Napoleon Bonaparte or Coco Chanel and etc. And one of their episodes, or they yeah, had, it was a two-parter. Some of their episodes were on tobacco, tobacco. <laughs> Tobacco or tobacco. Anyway, cigarettes. And how before the creation of the cigarette, people were already smoking a little bit of pipes and um, cigars and such, but cigarettes were not a need yet. And then that guy, this Duke guy who created and marketed the first massive cigarette market, he had to create a need for people to want to smoke these things that kill you. And it multiplied to the point of a multi-million, billion, etc. dollar industry. And that is basically the definition of capitalism. You don't want these cigarettes? Uh, no, no, no. You do. Here's why. I'm gonna market these cigarettes to you, and now everybody in the world is going to be dying slowly because of it. And that is very ingrained into American culture. It's completely valid to want to escape from it. Yeah. Take care of yourself. Have a relaxing smoke. Take care of yourself. Unwind with some wine. Take care of yourself. Go clubbing with your friends and just have fun and be you. And we will get to a section eventually on deep play or dark play or risky play and we'll get to some of those questions as well but absolutely it's really fascinating to see companies manufacture a way for you to be more you through buying their product and i think you i think i think you got it you nailed it like that is the way that they will make their money and that is the way that they will convince people that they are caring for themselves. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think in general, capitalism also creates this pampering or this luxe, right? Like spa days, pedicures, manicures, facials, anything that is going to make you, we talked about this with, with haircuts, anything that's going to make you feel like the best version of yourself and what's interesting is that I see people sometimes on social media saying, I went and had a spa day, or I went and just went out with the girls and had some wine tonight. And people will say, good for you. Like you did the work to give yourself a pedicure, or you did the work of crushing the grapes and making the wine. And this is kind of fascinating too. Like the the ownership of self-care and who pays for it and who is the person Especially because it. when somebody is doing self-care 24-7, that's when other people start to question you and tell you that you're doing it wrong. People want or people expect you to be balanced in your work and your play. They expect you to work for, you know, up to 40 hours a week and then you can take your weekend to have fun but there has historically been a stigma against mental health days where you are working so hard that you have burnt out and you just don't feel well mentally enough to go to work and you just need that day off and sometimes and that and that's an example of when the balance is off of when you have done too much of one thing and you need to restore equilibrium the other way so you so you keep your balance between work and play my mom would always be angry at my brother for playing quote unquote too many video games and that's a common <laughs> parent's dilemma of well how many hours of gaming do i allow my child to do and it's i would hate that responsibility because I can barely balance my own work and play hours. Who am I to get to determine what a kid should get to do? But at the same time, that was kind of probably the point of her of like, she didn't want him to play too much. She, I mean, she actually wanted us to work like 80% of the time, but anyway. I love when my daughter has a playful assignment in class. 
So, for example, right now she's taking Korean. She's taking Korean language courses online. This is her third year doing that. And for year three, her final assignment is to design her own travel experience in Korea. And so she has to choose sites of interest. She has to write about them in Korean, justify why she wants to go there, plan it out, make sure that she can actually get to these places in time. To me, that is a fantastic final assignment. And then you can actually use that travel itinerary. And it's very playful thinking about, oh, me, me, I get to personalize my learning. I get to invest. I get to take some kind of ownership over what I get to write about for this assignment. Best kind of learning. Playful learning. Mm, that's amazing. And there's also versions of playful productivity as well, in especially in some video games, um, such as Stardew Valley. Have you heard of Stardew Valley? Oh, yeah. <gasps> yeah. Yeah, I know Stardew farmer, Valley. <laughs> farmer who farms, fishes, mines, sells, and most importantly, makes profit. And... There's also Unpacking, which is a video game about a girl moving throughout different homes in her life. So she has to unpack in every new home and every life change. Um, there's Virtual Cottage, which is a lo-fi study timer with a cute environment and cute lo-fi music. And then, as we've mentioned before, House Flipper and Power Wash Simulator, opportunities to quote-unquote relaxingly clean and to redo destroyed houses to make something dirty into something clean and there's a strange juxtaposition of product slash anti-product right like these cozy relaxing video games are meant are you know you're playing so obviously while you're playing these games you are relaxing you are literally playing however you're also kind of working in the game context right like you are doing physical labor as a farmer in stardew valley you're waking up at 6 a.m every day and going to bed at like anywhere between 11 p.m to 2 a.m like you are busy you are making things happen is it escapism because it's more relaxing and healing of where we're escaping from yeah i feel like we're kind of spoiled they do this in board games too. Like there are board games like Agricola where you're farming, other board games like Stone Age where you're hunting and gathering and bringing stuff back to your tribe. We are spoiled, Avery. We are so unused to manual labor in many respects that in order to have any connection with it, we want to play it. <laughs> so... It, I, 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 I'm not growing crops. I'm not harvesting my crops. I'm not building a house. I'm not going and gathering eggs. But I can play that and perhaps, perhaps get a little bit of satisfaction in the same way that someone who that is their livelihood would get satisfaction. We're relaxing because we're not actually doing it. Yes. And yeah, we want to have our cake and eat it too. We want the satisfaction of growing crops and building houses, but we don't want to get our hands dirty. Yeah. Such a bougie thing. Yeah. There's also caring for a virtual pet or a virtual kind of person so i'm thinking of like back in the day the tamagotchis where they were obsessed with those yeah and you have this pet that you have to feed you have to make sure it knows what to do and then the sims all of the sims games and if your sim has a baby you've got to help that sim take care of the baby so the child protective services doesn't show up and take your sim baby away from you and I love the idea of <laughs> we have to care for virtual animals or people and learn how to do that. And in The Sims, you also get to create your character how you like it as well. I think that was also a very wonderful part of The Sims for me was that I got to the first the first thing that some people do when they play the sims is they create a character who looks exactly like themselves oh yeah and then after that character your next character you will probably make it like as different from yourself as you can or a better version of yourself if only we could do that in real life huh drew if only we could do that in real life 
I know, I know. But there's always little things that people do sometimes to try to make their daily self look a little bit better yeah. than they normally do. Like with, like we said, with spas or now with playing with makeup and clothes as a kid or as an adult and how gendered the idea of of makeovers and dressovers and dressing up is right with how socialized it is for girls to be playing house and to be playing dress up and with makeup and with pretty dolls and to play virtual video games that are like dress up and makeup and and stuff like that and whereas with the male side of things they're not so much it's not marketed toward them the things that are marketed toward males is violence and action figures and cars and such yeah and there's also the idea that playing with makeup and clothes is is something for children um is it's you're oh you're too old to be playing with makeup you're too old to be dressing up no screw you Anybody can play with makeup and clothes, and and regardless of gender and age, you know? Absolutely. I love the idea that when Johnny Depp played Jack Sparrow in Pirates of the Caribbean, that he was playing with Guy Liner, and he was playing with also long hair and beads, and his movements were almost a little effeminate, and he was, Jack Sparrow was kind of gender bendy, and yet he still because this was, you know, he, he was supposed to be sort of a leader. He was also going after the ladies. And Jack Sparrow would, like, have a new love interest in practically every movie. And it's, I, I think there's an interesting dividing line between wardrobe and costume. And very specifically, for example, in something like A Maid Café. There is a specific costume that has to do with, I am serving you. I am here to take care of your needs. You tell me what to do, and I will do it, serving the onlooker. And so, not necessarily an empowering method of dress, but a method of dress that empowers the person who is going to pay money to have that service right oh so it's like a reverse empowerment yeah i'm dressing up but you're the one who's feeling the effect exactly exactly and then there's the but do you get something out of caring for someone else i mean a maid cafe obviously is different than a parent caring for a child and one of my favorite things when when uh my daughter was younger was to get up on the, the playground equipment and like scramble around with her and see, oh, what is this slide like? Or can I get all the way down the monkey bars? You know, does my, do I still have the grip that I had when I was a kid? And so caring for a child, playing with a child, um, serving somebody in terms of giving them a haircut or um, giving them some kind of, like, uh, exfoliation versus serving them in something like a maid cafe. All of them are serving someone else. Some of them have a commercial aspect to them, and some of them are just, how do you feel about caring for somebody? And I have this quote from Maya Angelou here. She said, if you find it in your heart to care for somebody else, you will have succeeded. So you will have done something that will lead to your own growth. That's wonderful. Yeah. Maybe to wrap up here, taking care of the parts of ourselves that we cannot see. We can see the body, right? We can see the, or we can feel the, the effects of like our stomach if we need to eat or our head if we need to sleep and our, you know, our bones and our muscles if we need to sleep and we're just aching. But Avery, I know you, you kind of were interested in those aspects that we can't see, the psyche, our, our, our mental health, spiritual health, emotional health, all of those things kind of put together. So I guess the, the last thing I would say would be that feeling seen, feeling valued, feeling cared for are important no matter who we are and the idea of we belong we are desirable 
This is the very, very top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the very, very top of the pyramid. And I will, I'll use this last quote from Jane McGonigal, who's a, a researcher into, into games and gaming. And Jane said, if you were a gamer, it's time to get over any regret you might feel about spending so much time playing games. You have not been wasting your time. You have been building up a wealth of virtual experience that, as the first half of the book will show you, her book, can teach you about your true self, what your core strengths are, what really motivates you, and what makes you happiest. That is excellent. My concluding challenge for the listener is to spend five minutes to daydream. Here's a quote from Playing Creativity in Psychotherapy yet again about the daydream effect, where daydreaming is a safe haven for wonder and is the least structured function in human cognitive processing. There are no pointed mental rules to govern daydreaming. When the waking mind is left free to roam to the farthest edges of imagination, it's easier to engage optimistic thinking and it's a harmless way to self-indulge. An obvious explanation for this is temporary comfort or relief from what worries us. And through this autonomous relief, we forgive ourselves a little bit. We might paint a slightly more virtuous version of ourselves than we usually picture. By forgiving ourselves, we can be more forgiving of others, and thus, an empathetic cycle ensues. Go in daydream and report back. This has been Powered by Play with Avery and Drew. If you've been enjoying this podcast, you can support us online at Coffee. That is ko-fi.com slash poweredbyplay. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. This has been Powered by Play with Avery and Drew. See you next time.